If you'll turn to Psalm 59, I want to begin in Psalm 59, and then we'll be turning back over to 1 Samuel 19, but we want to first share some scripture in Psalm 59. And in the Life of David series that we've been preaching, just to sort of bring you up to where we are at Psalm 59, you recall we've studied about David as a shepherd boy, about him killing Goliath about Jonathan making a covenant with David, about the song of fools that the women sang, ascribing tens of thousands to David and thousands to Saul, and Saul gets jealous right after, right after David had delivered the entire nation as the rightful king. And then Saul tries to kill David for the first time, throws a javelin at him. And then David goes on a little later and kills 200 Philistines, and he marries the daughter of Saul, that's very dramatic, very intertwined, is it not? And Saul grows more and more afraid of David. And in chapter 19 of 1 Samuel, Saul orders the murder of David. He orders his men to kill David. And Jonathan intervenes, and Saul makes a promise. He says, okay, okay, I'll stop trying to kill him. And Saul, you cannot trust Saul because he is not himself. He says, I'll never try to kill David again, which is a total lie. So David fights the Philistines again and defeats them again. You see, David didn't just fight the Philistines one time. And in 1 Samuel 19, he fights them again. And then David defeats them. And in verse 9 of chapter 19, Saul tries to kill David again. Just shortly after he had promised Jonathan, his son, that he never would do it again. Saul then sends messengers to take David at his house with his wife, Michal, which is the daughter of Saul. I mean, this is just a tangled mess. And so we come to Psalm 59 on the night that Saul sent his men to take David. This psalm was written the night that David escaped. And Mashal helped him. By the way, we talked a little bit about Mashal last week. And this is, this is about the only good thing that Mashal ever does for David, is delivers him from death this one time. She's a, she's a real pill, as they say. She, you know, Saul married her off to David because he knew it would be a snare to him. So you got to be careful about those arranged marriages for sure. <laughs> Psalm 59, David is talking about Saul sending men to kill him at his house. Notice it, it says in the preamble, if you have the preamble in your Bible, it says to the chief musician, when Saul sent and they watched the house to kill him. You got the picture in your mind. This is the night that David escapes. Now listen, this is not saying that he wrote this psalm that night. I don't think that's how it happened. He writes this later about the experience, but this is what was going on in his mind that night. Deliver me from mine enemies, oh my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloody men. That's a reference to Saul's men. Because those men are ones that also saw David deliver the nation several times now. But they're still going to go and do what Saul tells them to do and try to kill David. For lo, they will lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me, not for thy tr my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me, and behold. Thou therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen. Be not merciful to any wicked transgressors, Selah. They return at evening. They make a noise like a dog and go around about the city. They're barking to each other. That's their signal. You get that? They're barking to one another so they'll have a signal you know two barks means he's here one bark means he's not behold they belch out with their mouth swords are in their lips for who say they doth hear but thou O lord shall laugh at them 
Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. Because of his strength will I wait upon thee, for God is my defense. The God of my mercy shall prevent me and shall let me see my desire upon mine enemies. I want to talk to you today about trusting in God's providence. Trusting in God's providence. Brother Luke preached a wonderful, wonderful message a few weeks ago on the the true context and the true meaning of Romans 8.28. And as believers in the truth, if your mind is taken to anywhere other than those five things that are given there, when you read Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to them that are called. Your mind should be directed to the context of that, which is God foreknowing a people, God predestinating a people, God calling his people in the new birth, God justifying his people on the cross. And one day, one sweet day, in the sweet by and by, as we sang this morning, he will gather his people and glorify them. They'll be in glorified bodies. That's what your mind should be directed to whenever you read Romans 8, 28. Not to the events of this world, because that's not the context. But just because that is not the context of Romans 8, 28 does not mean that we don't believe in providence. We believe in the providence of God. That's just not the proof text. Okay? So we believe in the providence of God. You can't read about the life of David and not believe in the providence of God. If you will look at your own life through the eye of faith, you will see the providence of God in your life. We believe in the providence of God. And here David says of the Lord that the Lord will prevent me. That means he will go before me and make a way. In the midst of terrible circumstances where he's surrounded by men outside on every corner of the street, barking like dogs, calling signals to one another, David says, the Lord is my defense. The Lord will go before me. The Lord will make a path for me. And you know, in times past, I've kind of given David a hard time. You could be turning to 1 Samuel 19. I've thought, you know, what's wrong with David? Why doesn't he trust enough? And why does he go off into the land of the Philistines and, you know, and he does the things that he does and sometimes acts foolish? Why does he get into these scrapes? You know, he was there the day whenever the Lord delivered Goliath into his hands. He was there whenever the Lord had Samuel come and anoint him privately and quietly, confidentially. You know, how could David be concerned about anything when you've seen what he's seen? And don't we get that way? We think, well, the Lord delivered me in this way, in this great providence. And in our minds, we think, well, he's just going to do the same thing again. But as I've said time and time again, you can't put God in your box. You can't put the line of the tribe of Judah in a box. He can operate any way that he pleases. He'll never violate his character. He'll never use sin. He'll never intermingle with the sin of this world. But he will intervene and providentially provide in different ways at different times. So there on the battlefield that day, the Lord delivers Goliath into his hand through the stone that David slings at Goliath. But we don't see that happen in David's life again, you see? But we see many, many providences in the life of David. Now listen to me. If you say, I believe in the providence of God, as I believe you do, you also must say that I believe in the faith that God has given me to trust His providence. It takes faith to trust in the providence of God. God puts faith within you in the new birth. But He doesn't just all of a sudden turn a switch and you start using that faith. 
You see, it requires your effort to use the faith that God has given you. And it ties directly into the providence of God. Yes, it ties into believing that Christ has paid for your sins and you're, you're clear of your sins. and You're declared innocent by His work. But from your day-to-day activities, it takes faith to serve God. It takes faith to press into the kingdom of God. It took faith for Paul and Silas to sing praises at midnight. God didn't tell them, now if you'll sing praises, you know, I'm going to send an earthquake and all of the doors will be open. They didn't know that. But in faith, they sang and they praised God at midnight and the next thing you know, the doors open. So praise God if you believe in the providence of God and praise God even more that you believe it takes faith to believe in the providence of God. Who gets the glory and the credit for your faith? God gave you the faith. You can take no credit for it. But you don't have any less faith than Abraham did, you see? It says that in the new birth, God has dealt to every man, every man, woman, and child who's born again, the same measure of faith. You have the same measure of faith that Abraham had. Whenever the apostles looked at Jesus and they said, Lord, increase our faith. We don't think we can forgive people 70 times 7. We don't think we can forgive infinitely like you've directed us to. They said, increase our faith. And Jesus said, you don't need any more faith. If you have the faith as a grain of a mustard seed, then you've got all the faith that you need. So child of God, you have the faith as a born-again child of God to believe in the work of Christ, to believe in the deliverance that He has given you. And you have the faith to believe that God will providentially guide and direct you and help you in this life. David wrote this psalm of providence. He said, Lord, prevent those wicked ones that are trying to go before those wicked ones that are trying to destroy me. God never caused those men uh, to go and God never caused King Saul to send them. But when they went, the Lord was just one or two steps in front of them. So Michal, she lets him down by the window and he escapes into the night. And David did something that by faith and by believing in the providence of God, David did something that we all ought to do today, this day and time. Where did David go when he escaped into the night? He went to the preacher. He went to Samuel. When the troubles of this life come to you, where do you go? Who do you seek? What's the remedy that you're after? You say, well, you know, preaching's kind of passe. You know, the Bible's kind of... Everybody else out there is an expert and they've got it all figured out. So why should I go and see the preacher when I've got problems? You know, I mean, isn't that the last thing on the list? Well, I'll check with, with you know, this expert and with that expert and another expert. And way down here at the bottom, you know, the last one that I'll check with will be the very man of God that God has put in your life. And, and God refers to the, the gift of the ministry as what He gave to His people when He ascended on high. God ascended on high, and it says when He ascended on high, He led captivity captive, and He gave gifts unto men. He didn't give the experts of the world to help you get through this life. In God's amazing providence, He could have given many things, but He gave the preaching of the gospel. He gave counsel from the Word of God. The preacher of the gospel should be the place that you turn to when you are fleeing from the things of this world. David was fleeing from the dogs. David was going away from those things that were coming to destroy him. And he went to Samuel, the prophet of God. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that the, preacher, the preachers today are on the same level as Samuel the prophet. He was most likely the, the last judge in the Old Testament. He was amazing. God did amazing miracles through him. But we don't have any Samuels anymore, but we have the preachers of the gospel, the gifts of the ministry that are given to the saints to edify them, to build them up, to guide them, to instruct them. And that's where David goes. 
in the provision of God, in the providence of God, David goes to the preacher. He escapes into the night. One of the commentaries that I read, I really enjoyed, and I thought it was very accurate when it comes to the providence of God. I'm going to share that with you as we look at 1 Samuel 19 some more. It says, God's providence is wonderful. A web of many threads woven with marvelous skill. A network composed of all kinds of materials, great and small, but so arranged that the very smallest of them is as essential as the largest to the completeness of the fabric. And none of this involves or utilizes sin. The great overcomer intervenes and overrules. Listen to this. The meeting of two convicts in an Egyptian prison is a vital link in the chain of events that makes Joseph governor of Egypt. A young lady coming to bathe in the river preserves the life of Moses and secures the escape of the Israelites. The thoughtful regard of a father for the comfort of his sons and the army brings David into contact with Goliath. The beauty of a Hebrew girl fascinating a Persian king saves the entire Hebrew race from massacre and extermination. Thus, wonderfully, do the two things go together, divine providence and human freedom. How it should be so, it baffles us to explain. So when you think you've got God figured out, He's going to operate the same way that He does on the battlefield with Goliath as He does whenever He sends, gives David a way to escape from these wicked dogs that are trying to kill him. You see, I've kind of given David a hard time and thought, well, you know, how could this guy not trust in God? It's because the Lord is not a tame lion. You can't put him in a box and say he's going to do the same thing the same way every time. And that requires faith, child of God. It requires faith to trust in God that no matter if he delivers by a stone on the battlefield or no matter if he delivers through two convicts in an Egyptian prison that encountered Joseph, the Lord will deliver. And sometimes He delivers in ways that you never expected. 1 Samuel 19, verse 18. So David fled and escaped. He came to Ramah, came to Samuel, to Ramah, and told Samuel all that Saul had done to him. That was very therapeutic for David to talk about all that, wasn't it? He tells Samuel about everything. that He tried to kill me twice. He married me off to his daughter. She's kind of a snare. She worships Isaac. You could almost just picture David you know, laying there on a couch, you know, like in a therapy session, you know, telling him, Samuel, all these things, Samuel, uh-huh, yeah, well, you know, uh-huh. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in Naoth. So when David comes to Ramah, they go down to Samuel's hometown in Naoth. This is where Samuel lives. And you remember, Samuel has not seen Saul since he went to him and he dismissed him under the authority of God as the king. Saul is no longer the king. David is the rightful king. He's been anointed by God. Saul has been dethroned, deposed by God. And Saul has not seen Samuel since that time. And it was told Saul, listen to this now, they, somebody, some snitch, some, some tattletale told Saul that, hey, David is at Naoth and Ramah. He escaped that night. You know, the men, the dogs didn't get him. So Saul sent messengers to take David. Saul is relentless in the irrational state of mind that Saul is in because Saul refuses to bow to the will of God. Saul, as I've said before, he should have just turned his resignation papers in. Lord, you remove me as the king. You've already resigned me in, in actuality. And here I, I submit to that. I'm no longer the king. But people come to me. Listen, guys, I'm not King Saul. There's another king out there somewhere. I think it's David, but I'm not sure. But you just can't come to me anymore and expect any leadership. And that's a fact, isn't it? He's terrible. He's trying to kill the anointed of God. 
And again, I've got to say this every time we talk about Saul. Don't you forget that King Saul is in heaven today. He's a born-again, blood-bought child of God who got in a terrible condition. And child of grace, you say, well, I'm glad. I hope that never happens to me. I hope it never happens to you too. But let it be a lesson for us that if we disobey the will of God, if we go against what God's Word says for our lives, then we can wind up in that same condition. Irrational and hating the things of God and hating the anointed of God. Don't think for one second that a child of grace can't get in that condition. They do again and again and again. If you keep on pressing into the kingdom of God, I guarantee you you'll never get in that condition. There's some guarantees in this world. You understand that? I can guarantee you on the authority of the Word of God that your sins have been paid for by Jesus on the cross. I can guarantee you on the authority of the Word of God that He is resurrected from the grave three days and three nights after He went to the cross. I can guarantee you on the authority of the Word of God that the Lord's coming back one day. And I can guarantee you on the authority of the Word of God that if you follow the Word of God, if you seek the will of God in your life, if you press into the kingdom of God at all costs, then you will see jails opened up, foundations rocked to the core. You will see miraculous things, but you won't if you don't. That's a conditional promise. Your salvation is not a conditional promise. There's no possibility that you won't be saved. <laughs> Praise God. That get, you know what? If you believe that, it just bolsters your faith in God. There's something that I can sink my teeth into. There's something I can build my life upon. And now I can follow him on a daily basis. I guarantee you that you'll never get in the condition that Saul was in if you press into the kingdom of God. Believing in the providence of God. So Saul, still irrational, still out of the will of God, not pressing into the kingdom of God, he sends men to take David, not to apologize, but to kill him. Look what happens. Bet you never saw this one coming. Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets... Now look, let me back up right here and just tell you. Samuel was the head prophet. And he had other smaller prophets and men studying under him. And they were called the sons of the prophets. And so as you approach where Samuel lived... He was in a constant daily state of teaching these other prophets and talking to them about the things of God. So as they approach Naoth, which is in Ramah or beyond Ramah, they approach Naoth and they see this company of prophets prophesying. And Samuel was standing as appointed over them. Samuel is teaching and preaching to them and they're prophesying. And the messengers of Saul come upon this and it says that the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. You understand, these guys were coming to take David back to Saul and execute him. And as they come, you know, with their swords and, and with the shields and with their bows and all of the things that they had, and they approach this, this worship service that's going on. The Spirit of the Lord intentionally goes upon them and all of a sudden they're hearing these guys over here prophesying and saying the things they were saying and it's comical. They begin to prophesy. They begin to join the worship service and the next thing you know, they're prophesying too. Isn't that a great lesson for church attendance? <laughs> Maybe you've spent the whole week not prophesying. <laughs> Maybe you've been down in the dumps and condemning and bad-mouthing and maybe, God forbid, gossiping and backbiting and all, and you spent the week, everything's against you and everything's coming at you and you just like, well, there's just no point in going to church. 
There's just no point in it because, you know, I'll just find more things to complain about. But why don't you do like this right here and just press on anyway because the next thing you know, you may be prophesying under the Spirit of God. And when I say that, I don't mean getting up and preaching, but you may feel the Spirit of God. I've seen the Lord. If the Lord can break down the walls of Jericho, but they didn't see that coming, did they? If the Lord can break down the walls of Jericho, I'm telling you, He can break down your little puny walls. He can break down the walls that have been put up through the week where things haven't gone your way, where you haven't had the time that you wish that you had had, where you haven't been given the things that you thought you deserved. I'm telling you, the Lord can break down those walls. He's broken down mine many times. There's been a time or two I've just said, what's the point? You know, I've been so busy this week, I hadn't had time to study. I've been so busy that I hadn't had time to get in the Word of God. You know, I probably just need to go hide in a hole somewhere. That's about how I feel. You know, go as I've told you many times, you know, if you're looking for me and I'm kind of down in the dumps, you may find me sitting over at Zion Cemetery, sitting by one of my old relatives and just pondering life and the things that I've been through. So if you, if you can't find me, go look there if, I'm, if you know that I'm down. And there's been times I've said, I just don't even need to go. I don't even need to show up. I don't even need to go and try to speak to God's people but I press on anyway and you know what the Lord turns that on a dime and child of God he said how do you get here whenever things like that happen you press on by faith and you say well brother Tim my faith seems so small press on in faith the next thing you know he starts breaking those walls down and the next thing you know you're feeling the spirit of God and these guys that were going to kill the anointed maybe you thought well, I'm going to go and I'm going to say well Lord you know I'm going to tear up everybody that's there I'm going to look for reasons to complain but when you get there the Lord touches your heart the spirit of God comes upon you and you think who am I who am I to say such things? Who am I to speak against the things of God? Who am I to stand against the kingdom of God that has stood through the last 2,000 years and pressed down through time by sinners? The kingdom of God is a miracle that we could even be a part of it and that we even have it here today from the banks of the Jordan River in the days of John the Baptist all the way down to this time. That's a miracle, child of grace. And we should rejoice in it. They went to kill David. And then they're prophesying. So, verse 21 says it was told Saul. So he sent other messengers. You know, strike one. And Saul sends other messengers. And they prophesied likewise. So they came upon the worship service another day, most likely. And the prophets were prophesying and Samuel was in the midst of them. And they prophesied too. They went to take David and they prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. So three times now, you know, if you had set back, if you were David, and you had gotten word, oh my goodness, Saul's sending a company to come get me. You know, that's probably a lot of things that went through David's mind. You know, do I need to go get five or ten smooth stones from the local stream? I got my sling with me. Do I need to, you know, arm the men that I'm with so that they can help defend me? You know, what do I need to do here? And, you know, David just sat still in faith and just waited. And the men show up and they begin to prophesy. I don't think David ever saw that coming. The providence of God. You see, the Lord can make these, this company of men prophesy in His name rather than do what they came to do. Verse 22, Saul has sent three companies of men to take David. And Saul says, I can just see Saul, he's so irrational. He says, well, I've been sending boys to do a man's job. So Saul says, I'm going to go do it myself. I can take this boy. I can take this young man. 
And so then when he also, Saul comes to Ramah and came to a great well that is in Seku. This is, by the way, I just have to say, this is very similar to the first encounter that Saul had with Samuel when he initially was born again and anointed king. If you go back and read, it's very similar. Saul is out wandering and looking. He's looking for his father's donkeys. But in this circumstance, many years later, he's looking for David. He comes to a great well and he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they be at Naoth in Ramah. And he went thither to Naoth in Ramah. So Saul is coming with the express intent of seizing David and taking him. And this has got to be one of the funniest things in the Word of God that you'll ever read. Because the Spirit of God, verse 23, was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. I don't know how far that trip is. I'm sure it was several miles, so it took several hours. So as he goes seeking David, he begins to prophesy. He begins to praise the name of God. I believe this is very similar to when the Lord sent, it says, sent the evil spirit. That spirit was a condemning spirit from God to Saul, telling him, you're no longer the king. And this is very similar to what's going on right here. Saul cannot help himself. He's under the control of the Spirit of God and he's prophesying. I would love to have heard what that sermon said, wouldn't you? Sort of like whenever Jesus was on the road uh, to Emmaus with the two disciples. You know, there's, there, that would have been an amazing sermon to hear where Jesus expounded about himself from the Old Testament down to the New Testament. And here we have Saul preaching, expounding about Jehovah God as he goes on down to find David in Naoth. And it gets, it gets better, or worse, I guess, depending on your perspective. As Saul goes along, and he approaches Naoth, he begins to strip off his clothes. <laughs> I'm not making this up. You can read it in the Word of God. The, the, when it says that he stripped off his clothes, it's the same word that is used for an army invading in a surprise attack. You know, this was a surprise attack of God on Saul. And it's also the same words that's used in the days of Joseph when he showed up and his brothers were there and they took Joseph and it says they stripped off his coat. It was a violent act. So you got the picture in your mind? The so-called king of Israel is walking along. He's prophesying, praise Jehovah, praise God, oh praise God, the Lord is mighty. And he's just going on preaching as he goes. And the closer he gets to David and to Samuel, he begins to strip off his clothes. And he strips down to completely naked. Now that's a, some kind of sight, is it not? This king is going to take David as a prisoner, so-called king, dethroned king, and he winds up stripping down to com completely unclothed, prophesying in the name of God. I'll tell you right now, nobody saw that one coming. I can't imagine David sitting there going, well, you know, the Lord will probably make him prophesy and probably cause him to strip all his clothes off. I don't think David came up with that. You see, that's why when it comes to your faith and believing in the providence of God, you don't have to know what the Lord is going to do. You just have to believe that He's going to do something. You see? And it doesn't mean every time, well, you're going to get what you were after or you're going to have the deliverance that you expected. The Lord is not a tame lion. David was not delivered in the same way every time. I don't ever see another account where the Lord caused a man to strip down to nothing and continue to prophesy. Not only that, it says that Saul stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel. Can y'all picture Samuel? Just said, old Samuel, old, the old prophet, seen everything, been all over the nation multiple times, and he's standing there, here comes Saul. 
He's just coming on. Oh, he's prophesying. Oh, my goodness, he's taking his clothes off. <laughs> and oh, my goodness, now he's laying down in front of me naked. And he laid down all day and all night, prophesying, laying on the ground, flat out. Oh, praise Jehovah God, praise Jehovah God. <laughs> and he's naked. I mean, that's embarrassing, isn't it? You talk about the Lord being able to do whatever he pleases. What did Nebuchadnezzar say after he had been put out to pasture for seven years? He says, none can stay his hand. None can say unto him, what doest thou? And wouldn't it be amazing to see some of the leaders that we have in our nation today on both sides that are so off base. The next thing you know, oh, did you hear about them? You know, they, they came on and they were prophesying. They took their clothes off, laid on the ground. They'd probably put them in jail, wouldn't they? God could do anything that he pleases to do. He will not violate his character. He will not go against his own nature. But that's how great he is. He can deliver the giant on the battlefield with a stone. And he can deliver the anointed from the dethroned king who is so off base. And he's laying on the ground and he's prophesying naked. All day and all night. It was so much so that they, like before, when Saul was anointed king, the word went out through the land. Is Saul also among the prophets? Let me tell you what that tells me. Saul was violently stripping off his own clothes, glorifying God and prophesying to God. Whereas you remember a fellow named Jonathan? Jonathan stripped off not his clothes, but the things that he had and voluntarily gave it to David. His sword, his bow, his girdle, all of these things that he gave to David. I'm telling you, the Lord has a way of making someone praise Him. In the new birth, is that not the case? Whenever you take Saul of Tarsus, nobody ever saw that one coming, did they? Saul of Tarsus is going to kill Christians, and they're afraid that he's coming to kill them. He's got death warrants, and the Lord goes on the road to Damascus and gives him spiritual life, borns him again. Nobody ever saw that coming. So much so that Ananias, when God said, Go baptize him, go talk to him, Ananias said, Lord, are you sure? We've heard about this guy. And, child of grace, if we don't follow, the faith that God has given us, there's things that we may never see. There's things that we may never experience. Trusting in the providence of God. We believe in the providence of God. You see, the providence of God ties to your faith. What do you miss? Or what have you not seen in the kingdom of God because you didn't walk on faith? I believe there's many things that I have missed just because I, sh I would shrink back and not be bold and follow the, the faith and follow the path that the Lord has given me. Paul and Silas saw the jail rock to its foundation. Moses, as they stood on the banks of the Red Sea, God had not told Moses, I'm going to part the sea. The Lord just said, hey, just stand still and see the salvation of God. You think some of them were looking way out there on the horizon, looking for sails on boats coming? Or they, maybe they were looking for an army up on the mountains. Where's the army? Or some other way of deliverance. And all of a sudden, the Lord starts parting the water. Nobody ever saw that coming. David never saw this coming. So there they are in Naoth, looking at Saul, laying on the ground, prophesying, unclothed. And you know, in David's mind, he's thinking, well, the Lord's done it again. He's delivered me again. It wasn't the same way as Goliath. Child of God, we believe in the providence of God. But the providence of God... It's incumbent upon you to use your faith because the, the way God delivers you in one situation may not be the same in another. I'm not going to be as hard on David as I used to be and think, well, what's wrong with him? He saw the deliverance with Goliath. No, he's human just like you and me. He struggled just like you and me. But let's trust in the 
overruling, overcoming providence of God. And if it's not in your time, your deliverance that you think you should have is not in your time, keep trusting in God. He may have a different way of deliverance for you.